when I was a young graduate and I went into emergency hospital, the techs that have been there for 20 years, they knew way more than I did. You know, I read a bunch of books, but I couldn't apply it to medicine. So I relied on the technicians all the time. And then they kind of build that culture for me. So I rely on the technicians to work at the top of their license. Whatever license in that particular jurisdiction permit, they should be able to be doing. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is graciously sponsored by Covetris Compounding. Covetris Compounding is proud to provide you and your clients an array of innovative dose forms, patient-specific prescriptions, and office use formulations. Welcome, welcome everybody back to another episode of the Positive Leadership Podcast. Andrea and I are so excited to have a great guest on today, Dr. Ivan Zak. He's the CEO of Galaxy Vets, the founder of Veterinary Integration Solutions. He holds a DVM and MBA credential. Dr. Zak, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we have this tradition on the Positive Leadership Podcast where we don't read your stuffy bio. We'd like you to uh, go ahead and tell the listeners about yourself. So please let us know kind of who you are, what you do, and what makes you tick. Sure. Well, veterinarian by trade. Started off in actually in Ukraine, where I'm originally from. Then moved to Canada, where my veterinary degree from Ukraine got me a job as a janitor in the veterinary hospital. And then uh, I proceeded actually to get a vet degree again in Canada. And so I did that at Atlantic Vet College. And then after that, I built a lab, diagnostic lab in Russia, which was a weird experience for about a year. And then went back and proceeded with my, well, the passion in my veterinary career is emergency and critical care. I've done that for about 12 years. Along the way, I burned out had to leave the profession for about six months. I actually didn't want to continue and was quite afraid, actually. And then uh, after some professional help and with with time, I came back and continued as a veterinarian. But then I pivoted, built SmartFlow. Some of you may have used it. It's a workflow optimization system or whiteboard tool or whichever way you want to call it. And then sold that to IDEX in 2018, ran their software division for about a year, and then founded Veterinary Integration Solutions, which was the company that geared towards creating management strategies for groups of hospitals and consolidators to run them with the people in mind. 
And today I'm the CEO of GalaxyVet, where we decided that we can't teach or consult on how to take care of people. And our burnout prevention strategy that we were trying to promote didn't work for someone else. So we decided to build it our own. That's where I'm at. That's amazing. What, what a great, a great story. story. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for Thank Lots for of twists and turns and in there. And Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. And yes, I don't know if, Andrew, if you've used SmartFlow, I have, and it is definitely much more yes. than a whiteboard tool. So yeah. I think it yeah. was great. revolutionary. So thank yeah, you for bringing that to the profession. So absolutely. So, you know, we are really big on continual development, continual learning here on the podcast. And so we always like our guests to share a favorite book or CE course or podcaster or anything that you've come across that's really left a lasting effect on you that you'd really want to share with the listeners. I think that we find that a lot of our listeners get a lot out of, you know, having our guests share something that's really impacted them. They go out and they seek it out. And so, yeah, share with us uh, if you've got one of those things that sticks out in your mind. Does it have to be one? <laughs> <laughs> I know Andrew and I have libraries, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Give, give us your top, us top five. <laughs> so I would say that my favorite, I guess I'll start with my favorite book. And I just recently read it, but now I'm making it an absolute must read in the entire company. It's called The Founder's Mentality. It's an awesome book by James Allen and Chris Zook. It actually, if you're building a company or if you're part of the company, it really explains how to take care of people. And when you care about the frontline staff, it actually makes the entire company successful. And those that deviate from that path actually fail. So awesome book. I love it. In terms of continuous education, sort of in business, I'm just finishing the lead course at Stanford, which is awesome. It's sort of innovation and leadership. It's very, very interesting and helped me along the last two companies to build them and start building them. And unrelated to professional, I would call the... Flow Research Collective. It's actually a training that helps you to get into a state of flow, which is, if you're not familiar with, is a fascinating topic in the positive psychology right now. And it's a total burnout prevention tool. So those are my three. Wow. That sounds great. Speaking of burnout, you are currently studying about veterinary burnout with Galaxy Vets. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, so we started in uh, last year when I was finishing my MBA, I needed to write a uh, dissertation and as thesis, I picked the burnout in our profession because it was a close, close topic to my experience. And because originally I was quite ashamed of the experience, I thought that it was just me, not something that I would definitely, not something I would share on the podcast. But then I saw that happening all across the industry right now. And it's actually, it's almost like epidemic in our yeah. domain. So yeah. I thought that, yeah. you know, there's so much research right now and so much effort in sort of, you know, the not one more vets. And there's a lot of speakers right now and trainers and coaches talking about the well-being and, you know, how to self-care. And I was wondering, is there something that we can do from the management perspective to combat the burnout? But for dissertation purposes, I wanted to actually take a slice from the industry and actually say, are we burned out? Because everybody's talking about it. But when we end up with a tragedy like suicide, that's the end stage and that's just terrible. But I thought, is this actually a statistic or is it like a shark attack? You know, it happens and everybody's talking about it. So we did the first study in 2020. And then we continue with the second study this year in 2021. And 
we sure are burned out. Mm -hmm. That was sort of one thing that we confirmed last year, and then it mm -hmm. did increase by 9.4% yeah. this year. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. So burnout is this, I mean, there are textbooks that are published on this topic, and I think a lot of people... I don't want to say mistake what it is. I mean, there is science behind it. There's a definition and there's ways to kind of measure it, you know, and so you, you can say, oh, I'm burned out. And, and that's a simple way of saying, you know, I'm overwhelmed and there's a lot more to that. So how, how can a practice identify, you know, an owner or manager say, yes, my staff is, and maybe we shouldn't say burned out as if it's a binary, but like experiencing burnout or showing signs of burnout. How can they identify that even just as a place to start? Well, you know, again, I'm not I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist, so take everything with sort of my lens as personal experience on this. But the distinct disconnection and lack of care in everything that's going on is really a bright sign of that people are heading down that direction. But I think that there's important two angles to this. One is understanding that someone is burned out, or understanding that you have multiple triggers within your organization and you're doing a lot of things not to take care of people, and then therefore you it might lead to burnout. Because it's very easy to say, oh yeah, this guy or girl, you know, are, they're working too much, and, and therefore they're burned out. But then it's a different thing to say, we are as managing are failing on providing certain safety for people, and therefore we can see more burnout among our employees, and there it is, we're noticing it. So I think it's very important to look at yourself as an organization and also notice this in other people. Yeah, individually versus, you know, as a collaborative exactly. whole. I think, you know, when we say our team is burnt out, that's inclusive of everybody on the team. And that's not necessarily always the case, right? Versus the individual who there's one that's burnt out or mm -hmm. two, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I think you look at that as a whole, but then you also have to make sure that you personalize that and look at that individually. Right. So understanding that we can identify it and put a definition there, what are some of these safety nets that you talk about? How can we prevent it? What are some of the things we can do as managers to make sure that we stop it in its tracks or identify it and see it and correct it? Well, I think it's important to understand what is happening. This, this is the main thing. Before you treat something, understand why it's happening. And there's, you can look at it from the classic Maslach's six triggers to burnout, and it's sort of a lack of autonomy. It's the feeling of hopelessness in the in the team. There's lack of control at you that people feel over what they're doing. And uh, when they're having economic difficulties due to lack of pay, we, we have all of those in our industry. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's not difficult to diagnose, but you, you really need to understand which one is affecting person and mm -hmm. then tackle them one by one. And therefore, you know, if you're not providing enough autonomy to your employees, well, that's what you need to do. If they're not feeling empowered in what they're doing, then again, that's another area to address and basically provide them more uh, of a tools to self-actualize. So, so there's no really, you know, here's the problem, here's the treatment. It's really understanding what is affecting people and then working towards that. That's interesting. So one thing that I would like to ask, especially of you as a researcher in, in burnout, we don't get to kind of communicate or converse with people who who have actually done, you know, research is, and this hopefully doesn't offend a lot of our, our listeners, but kind of the generational differences. And I'm going to very much generalize this, but I want your, I'm curious as to your thoughts. So we have the baby boomer generation, which I think, you know, baby boomer, it sounds kind of it infantilizes a little bit the generation, but you, you know, that group of people and millennials who are, you know, the larger 
I mean, both of them are kind of contributing now to the to the workforce. So there's this, you know, millennials are whiny, right? And baby boomers saying work harder. And millennials saying, you know, you don't value work and life balance as a boomer. So and so we do. And so my question is more research based. I don't want to get too much into the, you know, the assumptions or or generalities. But when you looked at, at the burnout research, did you stratify it by generations? And if so, what were some of the results? Or was it across all ages, all genders? Were there any demographics that stood out? You know, are, are women more apt to be burned out? Or were baby boomers more apt or millennials? You know, were you able to to tease any of that out? And if and if yes, great. If not, do you have any thoughts on whether certain generations are more prone to burnout and if it is a newer phenomenon and how you'd respond to maybe two individuals, one of them that says they're burned out, the other one that says you just need to work harder? Yeah, so that's exactly what we were trying to do. First, we were trying to determine whether the industry is burnout or not. And we used the Professional Fulfillment Index, which was developed in Stanford and it's sort of the, uh, it's only a scale of four and there's a series of questions that they're asked. And we also now were able to compare this year to last year. So I could go over several slices. So last year we didn't interview, we didn't ask for gender. So this year we included that, but starting with the age, those that are baby boomers are, are the least burnout group of uh, veterinary professionals. And the most burnout, those that are under 30, and within the first five years of graduation. So that's that's very interesting because wow. right now we're in a shortage of veterinarians and right. and we're we're losing them in the first five years of profession. Wow. The interesting yeah. thing is that forty percent of our professionals want to leave the industry for the two main reasons. One is a lack of work life balance. The second one is disconnect with the core values of the organization that you work for. But mm. we keep adding money as the instrument to retain the workforce. And it, it seems like it's not working. Mm -hmm. So right. age-wise, that's sort of the uh, separation. If you look at gender, it seems like... So we, we also included the work-life balance. And it looked like the work-life balance... So women and gender variant and non-conforming are more burned out than men. And men reported to have a better work-life balance than women in gender and, and gender mm. variant and non-conforming. Mm. The other interesting statistic was based on the actual position or occupancy in the clinic. So this is where everybody, and this is sort of my you know pet peeve, because I've always been saying that technicians are working way harder than veterinarians, and we're talking only about veterinarians. And what we've collected as statistics show that veterinarians are burned out as well as everybody, but technicians and receptionists are burned out the most. Yeah, right. Support yeah. staff. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So I think that's really important to pay attention to that because we, we right now are in shortage of, of everybody in the clinics and, and technicians specifically are not their career in the veterinary hospitals is very short because it's a very taxing physical job. And then you just can't sustain your living based on the income that you have as a technician. Right. I was just at the VHMA Critical Issues Summit in Dallas this last week with an amazing group of colleagues from all kinds of different pieces of veterinary medicine. And it was a lot of talk about the support staff and how they are very, very burned out, right? And compassion fatigue and some of these other mentally debilitating problems that we're seeing in our support teams not just the veterinarians and, and what do we do about it? You know, we need staff. <laughs> I don't care what position, pick a position. We need staff. And if we're losing them faster than we can gain them, clearly there's a, 
a huge problem there and disconnect. And what do we do to, to try to address it, you know, and get past it? One of the comments you made, Dr. Ivan, I want to circle back to, you talked about there was the six steps, I think you said of burnout or identifying it in some way, shape or form. Can you share that resource again? I would love to dive into that a little bit so that we could, as practice managers, have a tool that we could look at to somehow have a gauge as to follow these steps, ask these questions, look at these symptoms maybe going on in individuals or in our practice as a whole. And these would be some of the things that we could use to understand if if we see someone with compassion fatigue or burnout. Can you talk about that resource? So, yeah, so these are the classic six triggers of burnout. It's not really the symptoms, it's actually what you want to avoid in your organization and thereby the the original researcher, Maslach, I don't remember her name, I apologize, uh, the first name, but the last name is Maslach. And uh, so she, she articulated those in her studies and basically the six are, there is, everybody's talking about the work overload and that seems to be that everybody's focusing just on that. Yes, it is a lot of work, but there's other things that may be happening in the workplace that contributing to burnout. So, so lack of control, I mentioned that the more autonomy you provide to your employees, the better it is. Insufficient reward, and it doesn't have to be monitoring. It's not only about the paycheck, and I think it's very much so in the technicians, it's about the paycheck. But also, in addition to that, when we talk about, let's say, transition of practice from the private ownership into consolidation, maybe the promises that were done by the original owner are not kept by the new parent organization. So insufficient reward or just not saying enough thank you uh, for the things that people do. Lack of community. So basically not having enough support, psychological safety, feedback instruments to provide feedback. All of those things contribute as well. Lack of fairness, if there's individual attributions to salaries or some sort of unfairness in the organization that contributes to burnout. And also disconnect of values, which is very interesting because that's number two reasons why our veterinarians are leaving profession because of disconnect of core values. So those are the six classic ones. That makes sense. Thanks for clarifying that. I love that. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like Maslow's hierarchy a little bit too. For those of you that, you know, can you can Google that really quick. It's kind of this pyramid of needs basically. And it starts at the very bottom of like needing, you know, oxygen. And then it works all the way up to what they call self-actualization, which I personally don't actually have a great grasp on, on what that actually means. But I think what it means is, you know, striving to be your better self when you've got all these other things met. And so in a work situation, you know, if you can imagine that you walk into a job that you enjoy doing, you relatively enjoy the people around you, and the work itself is is relatively enjoyable. And then you are given, you know, all of the tools that you need, you have all the support that you need. And the work load is, you know, at or write about, you know, the level of which you can handle, which we know none of that happens in a veterinary practice, right? You know, when you have those things, then you can say, well, you know, I've got all this great stuff going for me, I can be better and, you know, and whatnot. So I want to get your thoughts, Dr. Ivan, as a veterinarian who has practiced, maybe you still do relief, if you don't, that's fine, but you were in emergency medicine, which, as we know, has the fewest I guess we could call it resources, mostly human capital resources, right? To deal with the volume of which, right? It's never one patient, one doctor. It's probably on average about 10 to 12 patients per doctor or technician because you've got the people in the waiting room as well as the surgery going on, as well as the stuff in the cages, right? Like that's how you deal with that. So looking at it from the support staff lens, 
What does enhanced autonomy mean to you with regards to sports staff? How would you create a practice that provides them with what you think would be a level of autonomy that could possibly solve maybe the autonomy issue, not, of course, burnout as a whole or every single checkbox that we're facing. As you mentioned, there's many of them, but maybe just that. Because I think we we talk a lot about this autonomy term, and I wonder what that looks like for you if you were the vet owner of a practice and you had technicians and you said, you know, I think evidence-based and my own gut's telling me that these guys have a level of autonomy that if they are burned out, something else is going on. So there's a lot, but I'll tell you from there's sort of dual experience. I worked a lot in the emergency hospitals as well as the relief veterinarian. And it's usually, you know, how the ER hospitals, some of them are set with the local clinics pulling their cases into them. So I've done a lot of relief work in, in the general practice. And basically from the time I stepped outside of the second vet school and stepped into emergency hospital, I always relied on the text to know more than I do. Because I can just, you know, I need to get the rest of the information collected together and sign off on a prescription. But for the most part, when I was a young graduate and I went into emergency hospital, the techs that have been there for 20 years, they knew way more than I did. You know, I read a bunch of books, but I couldn't apply it to medicine. So I relied on the technicians all the time. And then when I, they kind of build that culture for me. So I rely on the technicians to work at the top of their license, whatever license in that particular jurisdiction permit they should be able to be doing. And uh, I've seen all kinds of veterinarians, different spectrum from those like I am when I walk into a hospital where I haven't been before, but I have to do certain procedures. I have to drop the case under anesthesia, have to do all other things. I shouldn't be coming in there and telling them how to do their job and basically saying, you guys do whatever you do here and I'll fit into what that is. I haven't seen anything better than that, giving them confidence that this is going to be a good day at work. That's basically that. And it's simple. And why would you want to do extra work and be a control freak and sign off on every medication? They know what they're doing. So that was really my motto when I was working in this clinics. And I think I, I hope I was a good vet yeah, and then people yeah. liked working with me. But because there's so much that techs can do and we're micromanaging these, you know, veterinarians are a very interesting selected group of people. They're control freaks. Uh, they're perfectionists and all of that is fear <laughs> and try to fix their own sort of psychological issues. I think that we should rely on our text more and embrace their profession. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, what you're going towards is that autonomy, which you talk about, right? It, and I would say that, you know, you talk about technicians and, and the veterinary staff, but I think that also works in the front office staff. When you have a highly trained, well-skilled front office staff, give them autonomy over their job. They are very good at what they do. They're very good at client service. They can de-escalate a lot of situations that would otherwise become a total nightmare. And I think that's really with any of the support staff that is trained properly and with a good skill set that is allowed to do what they're supposed to do. And you're right, Dr. Ivan, I completely agree with you that I see so often that there's the controlling force whether it be the veterinarian, the practice owner, the manager, somewhere high up on that leadership chain that is controlling everything that flows down. And there's this huge bottleneck. Everything has to go through the veterinarian. Like that's the worst oh, yeah. workflow yep. ever where you have everything flowing through one person. Of course, they're going to get backlogged. It, it, it just yep. doesn't make no, sense. Absolutely. But there's a lot of different things in there, right? To unpack, right? There's tech utilization. There's training and developing their right. skill development, you know, all those paying appropriately, right. all yep. the different yep. things that we can get boxes. into with that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now that you've been through burnout and now that you have 
gone through that and worked through that in your life, have you been back to a practice or worked in a practice that you can confidently say this specific thing, whether it be tech utilization or, you know, whatever it may be using SmartFlow, <laughs> is there something that you can say you have seen that either managers, practice owners, leadership, veterinarians, some way, somehow have created a better work-life balance, caseload balance to help prevent some of these things? Have you seen that in action yet in a practice? Yes, I have in a different sort of format. So so I burned out in 2009. So it's been a while. And then I came back and I was still in practice for another sort of five years or so. But I was lucky enough with SmartFlow to be exposed. We, we essentially improved 650 hospitals. So I've seen very different settings, not necessarily as a vet, but as a vet as well in Canada. But then I've been in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Europe, and I've seen very different hospitals. And repeatedly, I'll tell you, if the hospitals that are happy is where people can do their own job without interfering and micromanaging. And there's a lot to it. It's not only it's not only autonomy, but it's also everybody in, in their place and there's enough staff. Because you could have the craziest shift, but when you get, and that's kind of going into that training and flow what I mentioned to you, you could do a 12-hour shift and you don't even notice how the night went when you have the entire team jiving, everybody knows what they're doing, there's sufficient ratio between the veterinarians and technicians, and then you can just process the cases. But that's not the case anymore because we are not addressing the foundational problems in the hospitals plus the COVID plus the you know uh, curbside, and we're not adapting to it. So I think that right now, I haven't been to the hospital since the COVID, but what I've seen is really not about the compensation. It's definitely not about compensation. And right now there's crazy money that is thrown at veterinarians and I'm laughing at how statistics are showing more burnout with increased pay and more people leaving the profession with increased pay. So. So it's definitely we're treating mm -hmm. the wrong symptom with the wrong medication mm -hmm. here. Well, that's a great segue into the yeah. question that I yeah. had, which is what do you think are a couple of common mistakes that practices make in regards to burnout? I mean, I think you, you mentioned a few, you know, I think throwing money at the problem, if that's not the treatment for the symptom, right? If you have a pet who has a viral infection and you script antibiotics, right? It's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna necessarily work as well as probably putting your head in the sand. But do you have a, a couple of other just kind of quick thoughts on mistakes that practices make? And obviously, you know, we're positive focused here. So the idea when we illuminate these mistakes is to then have practices stop doing that and do something else that's more productive. But yeah, do you have a, a couple of other mistakes that you think practices make when treating the wrong symptom, I guess is the right way to put it? Well, one very important one, which I'm trying to tackle in, in Galaxy Vets is the commission-based pay. I mean, that is a huge mistake of our industry. We're trying to compensate people for working longer if it's an hourly base pay. So the emergency veterinarians are trying to push as many hours as they want. Or when you're on compensation, you're pushing the envelope on the price and the access to care. And then you end up with a tons of economic euthanasias, which is another huge factor in the burnout for veterinarians specifically. We're the only profession that can watch the case where you can actually help and understanding that you're killing, you're literally murdering the patient that you can help because someone doesn't have money. And at year seven of my practice, I threw an average number. I was trying to calculate how many pets I actually killed in my life. And it was close to 3,000. And it was just like, I think, six years into my practice where I put the numbers together. That's definitely got to leave a scar. So... 
-hmm. So compensating based on commission, it drives a really wrong behavior and it's creating a very difficult scenario for the pet owners to have access to care. Because if you'll think about it, if in the whole chain of events where the, the owner goes to the GP vet and they're compensated on commission, so they want to squeeze that particular owner as much as they can, then eventually with a very sub not effective treatment, they will still keep the patient and sometimes unethical so they can kind of, you know, charge them for additional blood work and x-rays and everything else until they really need to send them to emergency when the client doesn't have money anymore. And then in emergency, it's another hit with the same blood work, x-rays and everything else. Yeah, and they will keep yeah. the patient even longer before they transfer the patient to specialist. If that whole path wasn't motivated by money, but just by the patient care and and the quality of healthcare, it'll be a completely different story. Interesting that you say that. I think that's one of the things that as a practice manager, when I did production and I thought, wow, or pro style, excuse me, like this was just a nightmare. And I've, I've really gotten away from that. And I feel like it does make the culture of the practice a lot healthier in the sense of, from the staff perspective, the veterinarian is not keeping the team late and over time to work on a case saying, you know, yes, get it in. It's five minutes to closing and we're exactly. going to go ahead and see that case. And I see the results on the team. As a practice manager, I see that from the team point of view. And I, I feel like it really affects the culture of the practice, especially when there's negative competition between doctors. And I would agree. I, I, I definitely have gotten away from that the last several years and have really put my foot down and say, pro sal, I'm, I'm just, I don't, Urgh, don't like it. But the effects on the team as well, if you, I've been in a setting, it was my first year out of vet school and I was, so we had a system where I think it was called the rule sort of two out of three. If you order a blood work, if you interpret blood work and then don't deliver it to the, to the owner, but you've done the first two, you're paid for it. So there's like some crazy system like that. So what was happening between the emergency vets, I would come on the overnight shift and the vet before me would run into the sort of exam room or the waiting area and assign blood work and x-rays to every other patient for or without reason. Oh my God. So then I can sit over and I just watch the, the fluids and then that vet gets paid and that's on the team. So that's why only the first year in my veterinary career, I, I worked on, on the pro-cell and never again. For the whole 11 years after that, I was never working on the on the pro-cell. Another thing that, yeah. you know, I remember I was doing this one locum or relief shift where the veterinarian, and I wasn't on commission because I would never work on commission. But when you hear a technician say, when you're scrubbing into surgery and like, oh, you're going to get rich after this one, you're going to get $800 or something like that literally saying that to you, like that is how more morale on, the, on that team, like, where is that? So, you know, and then the other yeah. situation in front of the owners, when they keep, you know, we always hear it at this desperation in the ER, you're doing it all for money and we're not doing it for money, but that's what the owners think. Yeah. We so, hear it in GP so as well. So when you're not yeah. on ProSell, what I was, what I was able to say to all the clients is that if you walk out right now, or if you're staying here, it doesn't matter to me in terms of the money because I'm paid per hour. It, it's yeah. a completely different psychological background to you communicating with the client that I'm here paid per hour and for salary and because I want to do this job. It's not because you're staying here or not staying. This is not going to affect me financially. Yeah, right. Dr. Ivan, can you give us one or even two action items 
that is something we could, as managers, go into our practice on Monday and implement right away. So good action items. I think what we talked about before were kind of big picture and you know industry-wide and how do we tackle these big major problems, but focusing more on something that's really specific or an actionable item a practice manager could take on Monday. Could you give us one or two things that you think would help us be able to go into our practice Monday and, and implement right away? The compensation model is is huge for me, but we've talked a lot about that. I think that other things that you can promote is, uh, which is a bigger change and, you know, given the pandemic didn't help us to change with that, but I'm a true believer as a sort of transition into technology that there are ways to increase the throughput of the hospital using technology rather than more people. And it's not linear dependent on people. So you could implement teletriage, you can implement telemedicine, but in conjunction with the physical appointment. So I think that there's a technological solution to this as well. And then there is management solution and don't expect that everybody wants to be a full-time employee. If you're looking for people that just want to be a veterinarian, you know, 40 hours a week only, it's a very difficult strategy to date. So try to augment your schedule by tons of relief veterinarians that have Mm -hmm. higher work-life balance. But also monitor for those that are crazy like me who would do four night shifts and then on my Mm -hmm. six days off, we'll do another six relief vet shifts and then go (laughs) back and do another four on ER. Right. And, you know, the craziest (laughs) thing about it is that when I was, you know, right now we were putting together this study and I said that pilots are not allowed to fly more than 100 hours, I think a month or something like that. Truck drivers have to stop for 30 minutes at least every eight hours. Yeah. And then veterinarians who hold in their hands the euthanasia solutions and burnout are yeah. allowed to do what I have done. I went yeah. from one 14-hour shift, slept for two hours in the parking lot in my car, and went back to do another 12-hour shift. Wow. And nobody cared. Yeah. As right. long as you can do it. Nobody right. says anything. Let alone right. those like right. human intern and residents, you know, war stories that talk about where they're doing, you know, 36 hour on calls and stuff, right? I mean, and you're holding a human life or a brain in your hands or exactly. whatever. So, exactly. yeah. Yeah. So if you were to give some advice to your younger self, we always kind of ask this question for the listeners to get something out of. If you were to give some advice to your younger self, you know, what would it be and why? You know, it... <laughs> I had to kind of reconstruct my way of thinking after the burnout and to sort of come back and be a happy person for the last 11 plus years. So I actually now so happy with my life and everything that happened in it, including burnout, including what I'm doing now, that I actually wouldn't change anything. So unfortunately, I don't have an answer to that. I think everything that happens in life is for a reason. But, and, you know, so this is, this is a difficult question. I've been asked this question before, but I think that every step that happened in my life resulted where I'm at today. And I'm pretty happy where I am. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Dr. Ivan, this is probably my favorite part of the show for me, where we can get into the kind of little bit of a lighter side, being in practice and working all over the world as you have. Can you tell me about a time where you've had a situation or an encounter either with a, a client, maybe an employee or practice owner, support staff, whatever it may be, where your jaw hit the ground, like eyes popped out like pugs, palm hit the forehead, and you said to yourself, no way, I cannot make this shit up. Pinch me. Am I dreaming or is this real? Can you give me your funniest story that's happened to you? I think maybe this is not as as much of an impact on anybody else, especially in Australia. But when I was going with SmartFlow, you know, I've, I've been to quite a few countries with it. And in Australia, I love Australia and love Australians. They're straightforward people, fast decision makers. 
And to them, I was laughing because in Australia, you know, we have sometimes exotic animal specialty and clinics. In Australia, every clinic to me is exotic animals and <laughs> clinic. Yeah. So I remember I was talking to Wang Bet and showing him the anesthetic sheet on SmartFlow and just having a conversation in real, you know, close proximity. And uh, now we wouldn't do that with pandemic, but it used to back in the day, <laughs> it was like that. And casually he props the big box on the table and he says, This was a drop-off opens the box and there's like probably six or seven python <laughs> massive massive snake that just wow. popped out of it so it was just uh it was just an interesting moment i'm not afraid of snakes and don't have a phobia but it was just so casually done that it was just Surprising, uh, so yeah. impressed. It, was, it, was, it was pretty funny oh that's great so at this point in the show we're gonna go into the rapid fire tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact I was fired as a CEO of the first veterinary diagnostic lab in Russia that I've built myself. Tell me about your proudest moment. When I saw someone write on their resume, I am trained in SmartFlow. That really made me feel uh, proud of something that we created that landed on the resumes. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? I love the intrigue of unknown, and that's why emergency medicine, and basically the investigative part of finding something, putting the facts together quickly, and being able to have a rapid impact on someone's life or someone's pet. Um, so that's, that's what's attracting me. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? I try not to get compressed, but self-practice, I do a lot of things. Proper sleep, proper nutrition, sufficient exercise, meditation, and yeah, there's, there's quite a few. How do you balance work and life, and do you experience any work guilt in that balance? All the time. The balance that I found is having an incredible wife who is fully allowing me to work as much as I want because what I'm doing right now is my passion. I'm essentially dedicating my career to find the solution to burnout in this industry. And having that as a sort of massive transformative goal in my life is very rewarding to me. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or things that cause you anxiety in your business or in the profession? The only thing that keeps me up at night is my one and a half year old daughter who we're trying to wean off from mom. So other than that, I'm a pretty happy guy. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning and what excites you to start your day? My purpose in life to decrease the burnout in this profession. And I think that by creating what we call Galaxy Vets healthcare system is, I think it's doable. I think it's an audacious goal, but it's doable. Awesome. Awesome, Dr. Zach. Thank you so much for Thank coming on the so show. Much. We appreciated it. Thank you. Fantastic. And uh, you have a great me. rest of your weekend and great keep up stuff. the good work. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Save you us from ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it was a blast. Thank you. And you also have a podcast as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, we have uh, we have two, actually. One of them is called Veterinary Innovation Podcast. So every week we interview an innovator in our domain. And it's anything from, you know, from the hardware tools to new medications to new startups in technology. It's been a fascinating journey for two plus years. So we do it religiously every week. And then the second one is called Consolidate That. And it's about the management methodologies that are geared towards decreasing the burnout and the work that I've done in the last three years. We're actually putting it 
through the podcast and we started season two which will be following the journey of galaxy vets and telling everything how we build it without any secrets or intellectual property restrictions amazing that's awesome yeah so wow, shout cool. out to those podcasts and uh we look yeah. forward to listening to those thank you all right take care everybody hey andrea here have you seen our social media pages be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram you can also find us on our website www.positiveleaders.com and if you like what you see there be sure to give Rhonda and linda a shout out over at dog days consulting they do all of our social media management they even built our website those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.